Hi, everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe, why you believe it, where you're going in your faith journey, or anything else really about your faith. It's okay just to be on that journey and to discover what it means to be a Christian or a follower of, of Jesus along the way. My name is Nathan Whitaker. And I'm Ryan Harris. And today we're going to start our second season. It's uh, what people do in the podcast world now. They have different seasons. And so we've been at this for a little while and we thought we'd start off a new season with a new year. And with this new season, we are going to be doing something a bit different. Not all the time, but the season is generally going to be uh, full of a new project that Ryan and I want to do. It's that we kind, kind of, of stumbled upon, and I guess you could say. Yeah, we certainly did. It just, we started talking, it was through the podcast as we were talking about different things, and Ryan and I both at the same time kind of thought, would it be nice to do this, or would it be interesting? Yeah, it was funny, because I called you and said, you know, hey, we should, we should, I've been thinking we should do this, and you're like, dude, are you shitting me? Because I was going <laughs> to say that same thing next time we talk, so yeah, we just kind of ended up here. So the project that we're talking about, the thing that occurred to both of us was, what would it look like to live in the reality of a lot of the things that we talk about on this podcast? What would it look like to live as if we were the body of Christ on the frontier together? And we want to explore that because so far what we've been doing, and we'll continue to do this, is we've been bringing out a topic or an idea or something happens in our world, and we talk about theological implications, and we try to do a little bit of application, or at least in the abstract kind of conversation. Like a way. possible way forward for some of these things. Yeah. And we'll still do that. We'll still have episodes like that. But we also wanted to see what it would look like to be a part of something that actually did that beyond having these conversations on a podcast. Maybe it's something that could happen locally or something that happens nationally or whatever, and we don't know all the details. That's what kind of makes this a little weird and scary. But we wanted to explore that. What would it look like for the body of Christ to live on the frontier in a very practical way? Does that sound yeah. about right? Yeah, I mean, I think we spent a lot of time, and that's good. I think we spent a lot of time in our last season pointing out a lot of problems and kind of framing them through our own stories. Um, and I think that that's, like Nate said, we're still going to do that sometimes because there's plenty more to talk about, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but I think the idea is, like like Nate said, so if we wanted to see something different uh, in terms of, let's just say, like, living as Christians, all of us as part of the body of Christ, right? That broad, I guess the technical thing you could say is the church universal, right? like the church Catholic, but not in the Roman Catholic sense. But anyway, so what what would it what would it look like in terms of maybe not that we have here's here's what it would look like, but we just wanted to talk out some ideas or talk out some uh, possibilities and just kind of see where that leads us and just kind of go from there. Yeah. And I think it it was like why it was gnawing at me, and I want to hear what you think, but 
it's kind of gnawing at me because, you know, in my work as a pastor, I'm doing this, but because of my context, and it's got nothing to do with the value or the wonder of the people, they're amazing. But it is really slow, and it is kind of like trying to get them partway there, realizing that they'll barely get there, you know, because the culture of where we are in my church body, in my area of the country, and so forth, a lot of that means that I have to drag people through the mud almost like we're walking through putty pudding. We can only get so far and I'm okay doing that. But for me, it was like, okay, well, we're doing a lot of really cool conversations on this pad- podcast. I can't really apply them necessarily to what I'm doing in my context just yet, but what would it look like to actually live this out in the everyday life of a Christian, um, and yeah. especially, you know, with our different heritages. Right. And, you know, I can't tell you if I had a dime for every time someone I saw as a chaplain, right? So I'm going to people's homes and nursing homes. Well, used to be, you know, can't right now. But if I had a dime for every time someone told me, well, I, I, you know, I don't think it's really that important, the differences between us. Like, I believe in God and I don't care about the rest. Like, that sentiment is something I hear probably on a daily basis. And yeah. it's telling to me that some, in some ways the people who aren't part of a church are the ones who seem to be grasping the problem more than the ones in many of the churches I've been to anyway. And what would that be? Well, this problem is that, like, we are so tribal in our identities, in our, in our, the, the places we go to church, the way we go to church, the way we do church, you know, who goes to our church, like we're so segregated from each other. And yet what that seems to indicate to everybody else who's not in that group with us is that we just fight all the time and, you know, we're pedantic or we're jerks or whatever it is. Because I think what they see is they see the church that's supposed to be, you know, the church of, well, when I say the church of God, I don't mean that group, (laughs) you know, (laughs) God's church that God's in charge of. And yet it looks like a bunch of squabbling children all over the place, or at least at least adults who uh, agree to disagree, you know, in an uncomfortable silence. And that's a problem because. I mean, (laughs) that's not how it's supposed to be. Right. <laughs> when I also wonder, not only is it not supposed to be that way, but the way that it is, is, you know, we have denominations and, and that breed segregation and theological segregation, but of course, racial as well, unfortunately. Right. Um, but, you know, it's, I can't help but think of uh, inbreeding. I, I apologize, yeah. but that's no, kind I mean, of what you know, I think. It's kind of an incestuous relationship in a sense, right? We only ha- stick within our own family for pretty much everything. I know that sounds crude, but honestly, I think it's the right word um, for what we're describing. Yeah. And we want to move beyond that because inbreeding means that there's no growth. Like if we're just doing things on the end group, then we're not really growing 
I don't even want to qualify it like saying as much as we could. That could certainly be true. But we're not growing in the way I would say that the body of Christ has been called to live together, to grow together, to appreciate each other and so forth. Like Peter and Paul, they had to get together and learn from each other. And then, of course, Paul, who strikes me as kind of a jerk, mm-hmm. goes and, you know, <laughs> gets away from Barnabas because whatever, something else is happening that he doesn't like. But the point of this is that, you know, if we've got all this infighting within ourselves as a Christian group, and we have an incestuous relationship with our own in-group within that in-group, there just seems like there's a better way for life and for understanding who God is. Okay, so for sake of clarity here, um, it sounds like what we're saying is this, is that during you know our last season, we saw a lot of these problems that we talked about, and we kind of see as we look at the church as we've experienced it and we look at the church and we see this uh, rather not just tribal and closed off way of living as christians in our separate denominations or churches or groups within our churches that's become even an incestuous or inbred kind of mentality because it doesn't produce healthy offspring (laughs) and it tends (laughs) to stay isolated within itself Yeah, I mean, like, look at the Habsburgs, right? It it turns out generations of inbreeding are not good. Um, So (laughs) we're we're seeing this in the church, though. And what we're trying to do this season, at least some of the time, is say, okay, so what might something different look like? We're trying to kind of just talk that out and explore and say, we don't want it that way anymore. It's not healthy. It's not good. So what can we do differently? And we're just going to kind of walk in the dark a bit and see where we come out. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, I don't think we're pioneers in this question, but we are frontiersmen. In other words, we're one of, uh, you know, a a group of people, um, a scattering of people who are asking this question. But I do want to follow up with that uh, of a why. Why is this why does this feel so different? Why does it feel so, I don't know if scandalous is the right term for it. Maybe dangerous is the right word. Why do you think it feels that way? You know, honestly, to me, it doesn't feel scandalous. To me, the scandal is that we even have to do this at all because it seems so obvious that this is not okay. What, to me, what it feels like is it, it, I get overwhelmed by the enormity of the task and it, it, it feels very, I'm not saying it is impossible, but it feels that way to me a lot. Um, so, so like my response to this idea is like, it's about damn time, but gosh, I don't know if I can do it or we can do it. Okay. So why is it monstrous? Well, I think I kind of see it that way because I don't know of a single church organization out there. Um, there are probably churches, individual churches in America who do a pretty okay job of this. But generally speaking, it's few and far between of anybody who, I don't even know if any, all of, if many of them would admit that this is the problem, like we've described it, you know? And even if they did, I feel like a lot of times their response is, well, can't change it too bad. 
it's how it is how it is kind of thing. Um, or, yeah, we should probably change how we do things, but that sounds really hard, uncomfortable. I might have to repent of some things and all these kind of stuff, and I don't want to do that. You know, this very safe, isolated, incestuous kind of church mm, culture. Yeah. And so to me, I look at that and think, gosh, you know, I just don't know how to change that as a whole, right? Systemically, that seems intimidating, but maybe that's part of the thing we're doing is like, we don't need to start systemically in terms of this kind of change, or maybe it needs to be more of an organic kind of thing, which is what we're kind of talking about here. Well, you come from a heritage that uh, at least is participated in a previous attempt at doing something like this. Of course, it wasn't right. this, but uh, non-denominationalism, which turned out to be what we now call evangelicalism, which is morphed into a political movement more than a religious right. one. But, uh, but I mean, you know, for Pentecostal people who pride themselves on being a new move of God and constantly looking for revivals and new ways that God is moving, I think the kind of thing we're feeling out here is maybe the beginnings of a new move of God in the way that they mean it and, and God doing something new. But as often happens with something like that, it's going to require a lot from us, all of us, to um, really see the kind of change that we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, and from our side, <laughs> so, you know, there's that whole light bulb joke. How many Lutherans does it take to uh, to change a light bulb? And the answer is... Um, change what are you talking about yeah exactly they don't want to change the light bulb and you know i experienced that leading lutherans it's like even unhealthy very toxic things uh, we don't want to change because we've always done them that way and especially something for us that's rooted way back uh further than even for you but i mean i think at some point time kind of loses its impact like that you know, it doesn't really matter anymore. It's a hundred years ago or 500 years ago. Right. Who cares? But we do have this, I would say in our heritage, we have a desire to carry on a torch that Luther set up for us. Hmm. And, uh, you know, as much as I could argue against that and say, well, Luther never really wanted to change, uh, or rather uh, start anything new. He wanted to change the church as it was. And maybe there's something to that of what we're doing. Like, uh, we want to change the church back to what it was, but better. Um, well, I mean, he was, whether he called himself this or not, he was a reformer, which right. is different than a separatist. <laughs> exactly. You know, at least at first. And he was quite nasty to very many separatists. Most people. <laughs> yeah, most people, but also uh, separatists. Uh, yeah. Even within his own little group of people, there right. were some separatists that he was very kind to. He did not set out to start a new church. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't know. It's like for us, I think this that's how we would respond to that. But for me, I think the feeling, like I said, the scandalous, the dangerous is because I am part of a church body, a denomination that has uh, not only a theological heritage, but a social and a cultural and so on and so forth that's kind of deeply ground into us. I'm sure that's not 
uh, untrue of your uh, your previous heritage and others. But I think that's part of what's going on here is uh, why people are kind of hesitant to ask this question, what it would look like to be something other than what we have is because, well, there's a lot of value in what we've had in the past, and it's scary to move beyond that. And yet, it just kind of struck me while you were talking. Um, so I come from a background that prides itself on on being not just a new way of God's work, but like looking for those all the time. And you come from a background that, whether they started out that way or not, are like the quintessential reformers, right? Uh-huh. So here we have two groups who very much radically altered the theological and certainly cultural landscape of the, at least not just of the Christian world, because, you know, but we'll, yeah. we'll focus on that. So it seems like we should be able to do this because that's what we've always done. You know, I think <laughs> it's just such a tangled knot because we're running into church culture and American culture and um, capitalism and money and like, uh, prejudice, segregation, like there's just so many things wrapped up in this. It's not as easy as just saying, well, let's change the church, even though that's what we got to focus on. Does that make sense? Like it's yeah. just, it's, it's so, that's partly why it feels so monumental to me is like, kind of like, where do you even start? You know? Yeah. So <laughs> where do we want to start for what we're doing today? <laughs> so maybe we can say we're going to just explore what it might look like as we talk about it to build a new community that is, you know, not just different, but like that addresses the problems we've been talking about. So what might it look like to build a Christian faith community that is not so closed in on itself and exclusionary and inbred and all this kind of stuff? Yeah. So what would the, be the main I think the main, let's say DNA strand, I don't know if that's a good metaphor, but one of the big ones would have to be that denomination is not how we talk about things. We talk about things according to heritage. Hmm. I think that's a really foundational piece because what that says is that or at least what I hope that says is that if we were to gather together as a body of Christ, we don't ignore our upbringings, the teachings of our particular flavor or tribe, yet we contextualize it within the body of Christ instead of saying that it is the body of Christ or how the body of Christ has to see itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I think what you're talking about is that heritage is important because what we're not saying is we need to become one uniform blob of all, you know, robots that are exactly the same. Like diversity and identity in that sense is still important and not something that needs to go away or, like I said, become some kind of mono church culture. But, you know, so things like heritage and even ways we do church and all of that are important, but how do we go forward acknowledging that while also addressing these things like, but our heritage doesn't have to exclude people's heritage who are different, uh, that's different than ours. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it'd bring us into some tricky situations, which is what we're going to be, you know, doing in this project is unpacking those and seeing what that means. But I think you're absolutely right. It Maybe it's not a DNA strand. Maybe it's a commitment, a commitment to say that a heritage is simply that. It's a heritage. It matters, and those differences do matter but they don't matter more than the unity we have in the body of Christ. It doesn't matter as much as me saying Ryan is a fellow Christian and not just saying that because every denomination says that, but actually living it. Yeah. Most of them living it out, not only in the day-to-day life, but in the worship life, in the, the theological life and spiritual life of the congregation or the group or whatever it is. Yeah, I think, uh, like you said, a lot of people say that and maybe even theologically believe it, but it doesn't seem to get very far in terms of praxis, right? And yeah, so I mean, so are we talking about starting a church here, like, or or some kind of new group, you know, or, or like, is that kind of where we're leading towards? I think that remains to be seen, don't you? I mean, I think, so uh, let me say it like this. I I very much appreciate the desire to get to where it leads us. Um, but I wonder how much of that is more cart before the horse type stuff. Like maybe we need to think through what we're looking at and what we're hoping for. And in, in light of this conversation right here, the problems and the commitments that, that are relevant to whatever's going on and then see what happens as a result of that. Maybe it leads us to a place where uh, we we actually create a group that is explicitly trans-denominational or a congregation that's trying to do something um, different within a particular region like this. Uh, but all of those have different you know, questions as well. Like, I think once we, we need to play that out first. Like, so I think we could say no matter what this ends up being, we would be committed to that. We are honoring each other's heritages in the fact that they matter, but they don't matter as much as our unity. And we need to figure out how that actually is lived out. And that's the tricky part. Or maybe they matter as part of our unity. Like I think we've seen all these myriad differences that we've created amongst ourselves as the barrier to all of this, right? Like we have to stay separate because they baptize infants or whatever it is, you know? And I wonder if there is more of a, a way forward that might embrace the fact that we're different. Um, like recognizing how special it is that God works in different ways with different people. Imagine that. Right. Um, And yet at the same time, see that that's not a reason. And I don't believe that God ever wants that to mean that, um, you know, we're all supposed to do our own thing all the time. I mean, look at, if you want to use the probably overused, but Paul's metaphor of the body here. I mean, it feels to me very much like what we have is the hand being the hand and the eye being the eye and all of them very separate from each other and not working together. Yeah. And yet 
like the eye does very specific things that are very important for the body, but by itself, it doesn't do much, right? Like that's his whole argument there. And I think that's kind of what we're teasing out is how do we actually function together as a body? So counting as important and even um, central to our operating as our job, what, what we do, our identity in that sense, but also realizing that our identity needs to be parts that do a specific thing as part of the larger body of Christ. And so I, I think that might be a framework that could help us think about um, how you might use differences and, and and heritage and all of that kind of thing as something that's important, but might also help us see our way forward rather than being the thing that divides us. Yeah. I was also thinking of Paul when he's talking about, uh, you know, the, the watering of the seed and all that. And he says, why are you some, why are some of you saying Apollos and this and that and the other? And I can't help but think like Luther and Calvin and uh, whoever the Southern Baptist person would be. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Whoever it is. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, Paul's saying, wait a second, uh, you're all in Christ. That's what, <laughs> that's the point. And, and I think in that passage, he's very much saying that those things matter, right? Because Apollos watered, I came and I did this and so on and so forth. But Christ is the center of all that. So yeah, how does that all work together? That's what I was thinking of as you were saying that. It, it elicited that image to me. So we've got a body of Christ and how that body of Christ functions, not only as a body, but also um, interrelated to one another. Well, that's how we can honor our heritage is say, well, hey, uh, Luther did something really important to me and -and so-and-so did something really important for you. uh, But let's recognize, hey, Christ is where this is really at first and foremost. Right. Like we're not saying as part of this. So for any of you who are listening, who are Lutherans, which I gather is a disproportionate number of the people who listen to this podcast, (laughs) we're not saying you have to stop being Lutheran, right? Or that we all have to become something different necessarily, but just this idea of functioning in a way that is new while also, um, well, while still privileging in a way, the way that we are different. Yeah. And it's so like, I, for me, when I hear this, I very much want it, but I think I just don't know what, what that means yet. And I just wanted to pause on that for just a second. Cause I want to talk about other like commitments we would make to each other, but it's so weird because I think the ways in which uh, we're talking about this is different than the ways at least Lutherans have been prepped to be wary of hmm. uh, this. Like usually the conversation around Lutheran uh, wariness when it comes to the big words, unionism and syncretism is that you're being careful not to let your beliefs be influenced by somebody else's. And you're making a statement by being segregated that your beliefs aren't like theirs. Right. Right. And I don't know if you need to be segregated to make that statement. Right. I think that's a very, forgive me, modern approach where you have to have 
clean categories and life is just not clean that way. So, I mean, I think it's this idea that like you can still make any statement that you want, whether you say it or just live it or practice it or whatever, that does show that you believe something or some things in particular, but there has to be a way that you can do that in a way that doesn't, um, that doesn't preclude you from participating in, if you like, in the, the larger game, you know, like, or we can all be playing different games, but we're still part of the same class or something at recess, you know, like this idea that like, we can still be ourselves. We can still make like people will still know what we think or believe or do, but that doesn't mean that we have to go do it by ourselves somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I think for me, what, what I'm struggling with is that seems so obvious yet. It's not in the way that denominations have functioned, right? We don't, we don't actually believe that or think that that's obvious, but, you know, take something as simple as just the patterns of life, right? People know that I love Disney. I do everything Disney. There's going to be no like question of that because we, we plan our trips to go to Disney. We watch family movie night is always a Disney movie. You come to our house, you're going to see a bajillion references to Disney. It's true. Uh, but I can I can mix with other people just fine. That doesn't change away change or take away the reality that I love Disney. In fact, Ryan doesn't like Disney very much. And I mean, I like him. Marvel and Star Wars, which is now part of Disney. But yeah, I mean, it's not. I don't. It's not that I hate it. It just it doesn't do the yeah. same thing for me that it does for you. But who it cares? Because, who cares? Right? I mean. Right. Yeah. It doesn't, and if that can be true for something as silly as Disney, why can't it be true for something like <laughs> the body of Christ that we right. can actually be together in meaningful ways, not just social, even though social can be meaningful in meaningful ways and still hold on to our stuff, our, our stuff, our, our heritage, well, yeah, our, in a our, sense, our, our stuff. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's interesting though, to be fair, I guess, and maybe we've already, I think we've hinted at this, but it's not, I I think a lot of this is bleed over from how, I mean, this is how America is, maybe how the world is, I don't know, but let's just stay in the United States because that's where we're all from right now, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. like we, that's our, our, I mean, it's not just now that our politics is the way that it is. I mean, it's more egregious in some ways and we know about it more, but there's always been that segregated identity thing, at least in some way. And it's always been separate by race because we've spent hundreds of years, you know, taking advantage of and abusing a race that is not ours that we brought here, you know, against their will. And it's always been men uh, oppressing women or whatever it is. Like we have always lived, like our neighborhoods are segregated by race, by money, by, you know, whatever, whatever. And so I think that has all bled into our churches. Um, And then when you combine the theology on top of that, and in a sense, that's even more so because we we frame all our theology in ultimate eternal terms, right? right? Like, this is the way you need to worship God. And if you don't, well, even if I don't say you're going to hell, I, I, I certainly am concerned about you, you know? So I think like this is the when, Christian way of saying you're going to hell. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but this idea that like 
you know, that's we get that from everywhere, just as good old U.S. Americans. And then we pile on top of that even more with the theological dimension. And I think so it makes sense that we're here. But given that I spent my whole life in churches that told me we need to be countercultural. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. like what if we tried to do that? What's going through my mind is what what is unity? Unity is or sorry, what is community? Community is unity with difference. Unity in our differences as you said. So we've talked about a commitment to to recognize our differences and uh, that's got the flavor of uh, honoring each other's heritages, but also, as you just noted, recognizing that there's uh, natural, I don't know if it's completely natural, at least a cultural affinity towards segregation and how we need to resist and fight that. Yeah. We're taught that from, from the very early age, you know, right. Where I went to seminary, uh, people asked you what high school you went to in the town that I'm in now. That's the same thing. And so already people are segregating themselves, distinguishing themselves based off of not just differences, but how those differences are better or worse than each other, uh, which is what segregation does. So are you saying then that living in community does not require us to all think the same thing about everything. And and I'm not even, that probably sounds like I was being facetious, but I didn't even mean it that way because I agree. I don't think that that's required for us to live in community, but that's how we've always lived. So yeah, um, I think part of the radical, I guess we can call it a radical idea we're talking about here or the, um, reform we're trying to see or the new move of God or whatever you want to call it is that like living in community doesn't require us to all be the same. It doesn't require us to all think the same thing about everything. I mean, just look at any family and I don't think you'll find just a family of four. There's going to be some things that those people don't agree on big or small. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that, well, hopefully it doesn't mean that they're not a family anymore. Right. Uh, Fundamentally, it doesn't mean they're not a family. Right. Right. Yeah. They can let those differences, of course, tear them apart. But that doesn't just because they have those differences doesn't mean they're going to de facto separate and be because that's how it is. We've got four people in my family. Uh, I'm really different than my wife. We're uh, really similar in some ways, but we're different. And our two daughters couldn't be further than us, you know, in terms of how they approach certain things. But that is what makes us a family, I think. Right, exactly. And so if we can live that way in our families, why can't we live that way or try to live that way in, you know, the family of God? Yeah, Yeah, and I think that's where this becomes a radical idea because we've oriented ourselves around, uh, to use the difference between unity and the other thing, we've oriented ourselves around uniformity, around groupthink almost, but certainly around certain ideas, theological ideas of who we are, rather than I might be so bold to say how God declares us to be a family. I think created us to be too. Yeah. 
I don't think this is a tried example. I just think about little kids, right? And little kids will play with any other little kid until someone tells them that they shouldn't for some reason, right? Like whether that's in terms of race or gender or whatever it is, like generally speaking, you put five kids on a playground, they're going to play with each other somehow until some adult comes along and says, no, 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 don't do that because whatever reason. And so if, if, you know, if we're supposed to come to God like little children, right? I'm not trying to be silly here. I'm just saying like, there's something in us that I think we were created to live in community and we are kind of naturally built for it, but we've made it so that we we feel like we can't. And maybe it's, you know, there's an element of, we got to go back to having a more childlike mindset in some ways. And, you know, one of the things that I like, so I've been a pastor for only three years here but I've been an observer of Christians for my entire life, uh, quite right. literally, because I'm like to possibly a hostage of once. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing that like, we're kind of speaking into not just the reason why we want diversity in, inside of a, a United church or whatever we're talking about here, United project, but let's also talk about the value of that a little bit. Uh, the thing that comes to my mind is that, you know, you let people stay within their own group. They will find divisions and they will like make themselves, uh, they will identify themselves according to those divisions. And in my church body, the biggest one, it's kind of going away a little bit, but the biggest one that's still, it's still in the uh, wider church. It's not so much with theologians as much or pastors, but it's the worship wars of do you need an organ or a guitar and which one's better? It's like, who cares, right? But because we're so homogenized, we still have to find these differences. And what ends up happening when we're not able to celebrate difference and and actually speak that difference brings us unity instead of, you know, conflict? Imagine <laughs> um, that. Then we create conflict by finding differences. And Part of me wonders if this like radical idea is actually more help healthy and beneficial to us as Christians because it helps us live with difference as a reality rather than seeking some crazy telos or ultimate goal of being uniformed. Hmm. I don't know if that got too headsy, but it just, it strikes me that part of the radical nature of this, and that's part of what a family is. I'm into things that I would never be into. Uh, my daughters dance yeah. and I sit there and I watch them dance. And the last time I went to like a, an official dance thing, I fell asleep. Not, <laughs> not my daughters professional, yeah, you know? right? Yeah. Because it's so friggin' boring. My right. wife likes dancing. So uh, she did that as a kid. Uh, <laughs> but now I'll sit there and I'll watch the dance and I'll be so engaged and enth- enthralled by it. And I wonder if there's something there with the differences between, you know, Christian heritages too. Yeah. I mean, I think every relationship is like that. You know, my boyfriend and I have some interests that are the same and many that are very different. And sometimes we do things that I like, even though I know he doesn't really care and vice versa, because we care about each other. And so, like you said, that does kind of change um, not just the outlook, but how you experience things. Because even if it's not something I would necessarily go out of my way to do by myself, 
doing something that brings joy to someone that you care about is engaging and enjoyable, right? And and if that's true for like relationships in terms of on the personal level, why wouldn't that be true? I mean, since we're talking about existing in community as human people, why would it be different in the church? Yeah. I think the answer somebody might have is because there's more at stake in the church than there is in your family. Well, I'm not sure I accept the premise. Like, I don't think I agree, but I, you're right that someone would probably say that, right? I think that's more of the framing everything in, in terms of eternity again. Yeah. You know, well, that's why I would say I agree with the premise, but not in the way you want me to, is what I would say to them. I say, well, that's exactly why this matters more in the church. Well, and and if we flip it on its head, how much has that mindset contributed to people wanting nothing to do with the church at all? Like yeah. in like in droves, right? Nate and I being somewhere along the spectrum of disaffected with our upbringing and Christian life growing up. Gosh, we're on the fairly tame end of that spectrum, not in a judgmental <laughs> sense of people who are in different spots. Right. But just yeah. like, it's not like our podcast is unique in the kinds of things we talk about because there's so many people who are in the same spot. And I think that the refusal to live in an, a community that um, not just like allows difference, but encourages it, I think that's a big part of the problem. Because people who aren't in churches look around and say, well, we managed to do it okay sometimes, right? You know, like we managed to do it okay sometimes out here. What I see with you guys is the opposite. So what do I want to do with that? So I, I remember this uh, story or this, uh, I remember I was having this conversation with some older people here in my congregation here in town. And I was really struggling with this because they they didn't really understand some of the stuff I was saying. Like logically, they they understood what I was doing, but they didn't have any frame of reference, or at least it didn't seem like they did. I found out that they didn't, and I I tried to get at it by asking them a simple question. They were much older. They were like in their seventies and eighties. Some of them in their nineties, and I asked them, uh, "When was the last time you spoke to somebody?" who wasn't Christian. Mm. And the response was, you know, I went tech checked through the years. I'm sure I've shared this story before, but I went through the years. Has it been five years, 10 years? One guy got really um, like impatient. He wasn't mad, but he got impatient and said, you know, pastor, I don't think I've known somebody who wasn't Christian for 50 years. Yeah. <clears throat> and, I thought to myself, wow, that's interesting because we continued the conversation and it turned out that they have always grown up with Lutherans, always. Like they grew up with Luther. I'm sorry, they've always known Lutherans. Yeah. They grew up with Lutherans. They married Lutherans. <laughs> they went to church with Lutherans. They even live in the same neighborhoods as Lutherans. And I shared with them my experience, and mine is completely different. Uh, I don't know very many Lutherans because of the churches that my dad did. They were all uh, mission churches type thing. And so I made friends at public school and other schools. And I shared that with them and said, you know, 
I can bring something to your experience that you don't have, and I can bring this voice from people who are not happy with the church, and they're not happy with it, not because they think you're bad people, but because they don't see it as a representation of the world. Hmm. They don't see it as a representation of something that's speaking into their lives that actually matters. And it's got, frankly, little to do with Jesus Christ. Well, and, it, and little to do with the life, ev- everyday life of an average person who's not part of that group. You know, it made me think, too, of, I've probably talked about this before because it's a hobby horse of mine, but um, I think part of this is also because this kind of tribal identity that we've lived in, you know, this idea that we all need to be the same, there's a certain sense of safety in it. Whether that's true or not, oh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it probably is. Like, there is a safety feels in that. True. And, like, you don't have to explain yourself to people. You you can take all the same things for granted. You um, know how to act, know what to wear, what, whatever it is, right? Like, there's there's a sense of that that is true. That's all true. But that's the kind of safety that I think we're not supposed to. Like, I don't think Christianity or faith in Christ is supposed to be safe like that, right? This is why Jesus went to people who weren't part of his group, Um, women, Samaritans, uh, lepers, uh, whoever it may be. It's why when he gave the Great Commission, he didn't say, you'll go to Jerusalem, right? And stop there. Like, I, I think... This idea that we should expect to be safe is is a is a tragic misunderstanding that has been around probably since after Jesus left, <laughs> honestly. Because I mean, they were still having trouble with it when you know the Greek the Greek widows and the uh, Jewish widows or whatever in in the early church. I mean, it's just something that we struggle with. But I think we need to be willing to be more unsafe. Um, or at least to feel more unsafe, because I don't think that it's actually unsafe to do what we're talking about. I think it might be uncomfortable. I think it's going to be hard and maybe even embarrassing sometimes or whatever. But I I think it's actually safer. I mean, which is better, a body working together and like, you know, which is better, the heart working by itself or the heart in concert with the circulatory system that gets everything to, you know what I mean? Like, I think... I think what we're talking about actually is not just better, but actually is safer and healthier. But, you know, I think sticking with the whole body metaphor here, you know, like the body has a way of making things work even when things are not healthy, right? So like, you you know, if your arteries are blocked, it reroutes and goes to a different one until eventually it can't do that anymore. And I, but, but the ideal way is that they're all working together. And, you know, I just, yeah. So what I'm trying to say is I think it would not just be better, be better, be safer, be healthier for a change to happen like we're talking about rather than staying static where we have been. And I love that image. That's exactly how the church has been working, has been working um, through alternative ways. Uh, And the spirit still moves through that, certainly. But maybe this is... I'm not maybe I, I agree. I think this is better. Uh, Let's not use the word better. I think this is safer. This healthier. healthier, I like, yeah, it is definitely uh, more interesting, which just 
gets me all tickled. Yeah. And, and, you know, it feels to me as we've talked about this for a while now, I think what's coming clear to me is it feels like as the church, we've been just barely surviving, you know, like we're still there. Things are technically working, right? Um, the heart's still beating, but man, it's having trouble getting things to where they need to be. And I think it's time to stop just surviving, right? I think it's mm-hmm. time to start growing. It's time to start doing something new. It's time to learn a new skill, whatever. You can take the metaphor whenever. But the point is, like, it's time to stop hanging, in by, hanging on by our fingernails and hoping for the best, I think. Yeah. Well, I thank you for listening during this time. We thank you. Uh, we are trying something new. It sounds a lot different, I'm sure, on the other side of this, but uh, it's an interesting project for for Ryan and I. I hope we we hope you find it interesting as well of what it looks like to live on this frontier uh, in the body of Christ in in this new radical, unique way. Today, we we talked about really difference and the value of difference and really the ownership of difference and how we're actually made to be different, not made to be the same. And what does that mean for the body of Christ in terms of uh, how we live life together? And so next time we're going to be talking about unity. What does it look like to commit to unity? What's it look like? Well, first of all, what is it? But then what does it look like or what could it look like? as we explore this project of living life in the body of Christ together. So we'd love to hear from you. I mean, if you've got ideas about this kind of thing or feedback or ways you've seen it or thoughts you have, please tell us. That'd be great. We'd love to talk about them. <laughs> you know, we'd love to hear from you. And, you know, that's the thing is Nate and I are just two dudes talking about this. So the more the merrier in, in that sense, but, um, or anything else you wanted to give us feedback on or questions that you'd like us to talk about someday or whatever, just uh, send us an email at frontierfaithpodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you. So as always, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.